Show me the money. Welcome to the MoneyWeb Market Commentator Podcast, where leading investment professionals share their investment insights. Your host, Rake van Niekerk. Welcome to this Market Commentator Podcast, where I speak to the leading investment professionals in the country. My guest today is Jenji King. She is the Chief Investment Officer at Alexander Forbes Investments, which is one of the largest multi-managers in the country. Multi-managers do not manage assets themselves, but rather find fund managers responsible for buying and selling securities. Jenji has been in the asset management industry for 21 years. She spent seven years at Henderson Global Investors in the UK and five years at the Swiss private banking group EFG Asset Management. She later moved to South Africa, where she was the CEO of Cavio and she was appointed as the Alexander Forbes Chief Investment Officer in 2017. Genji, thank you so much for joining me. First of all, who is the largest multi-manager in the country? Thanks for having me today. The largest multi-manager we think is actually us. When we look around the market and we look at multi-management specifically, obviously from an asset management, it's very different. But multi-managers, we think it's us. I've always found multi-managers interesting because you look at the managers of money, other asset managers, and not actually underlying investments. Take us through the process of what you look for when you try to find the best asset managers. So it's a multifaceted process. There's no one or two things you can look at to identify the best of breed asset managers. What we're looking for is we're looking for skill sets. We're looking for a consistent application of a process. We are looking for something unique that can really capture returns for investors. And we look to combine many different types of investments so that we can achieve the best return with the best risk profile. So when we're looking at asset managers, we spend a lot of time with asset managers to understand their processes, ask them how they get to their investment decisions, you know, what stocks they buy and why did they buy one company and not another, or why did they buy one bond or another. And it's the reason we go through that process, and it's very iterative, so we do it again and again, is to ensure consistency and also to just ensure that the process is followed, not just on a consistent but a sustainable basis to achieve the returns. Because markets do change and things are volatile and it's about understanding that when things do move against, for instance, an asset manager, that the process remains intact so that when the market moves back and they can catch the returns again, that we can catch it for our investors as well. It's very much an ongoing process. As Alexander Forbes Investments, we look at all the asset managers in South Africa and we look at all different types of asset classes to ensure that we have the full scope of the opportunity set. We'll talk about the asset classes in a minute, but you say you look at all the asset managers in the country. We have very, very big ones, the 91s, Coronation, Alan Gray, uh, and the likes. But how many of the smaller boutique asset managers do you actually regard as really good and invest through them? We invest through the full range, the big, the medium, and the small. And what we're looking for is expertise in certain areas. When we are looking at asset managers, we're looking for the expertise, for instance, in selecting stocks in a certain style. We invest in hedge funds, for instance, with a lot of boutique asset managers actually represented in the hedge fund industry. So when looking at those, you do look through a bit of a different lens because they don't have a full product suite. Like As you mentioned some names earlier, they've got many, many different types of products. So you would have, you know, a kind of a different way of evaluating them. But from our business angle, we look at all asset managers. Certainly, there are differentiating factors with 
bigger versus smaller, but that doesn't mean that smaller firms can't have the same performance factors or the same outcomes as the bigger managers. So you do need to be on top of the whole full spectrum. Alexander Forbes is also the biggest administrator of pension funds on behalf of, I think it's more than 2,400 companies in South Africa. Of course, you manage their money through this multi-management approach, but does it add a layer of cost to such investments? Unfortunately, from the investment spectrum, there are costs involved. Um, so from an investment spectrum, you would add on that cost. You know, it's a, it's a separate um, service versus the administration cost, for instance. But the administration is the one level, but the investment level is obviously a different layer of the value add. It's about making sure that not just that the administration is done from the pension fund, but that it is being invested in a certain way and the cash flows are being handled, obviously, by the administrator through to the multi-manager. So it's without doubt, it's about making sure that there's value for money in all those different layers of costs and the end investor which is the retiree is getting the outcome that they need. So if you are working at a company a normal salaried individual and you have the the option I know you'd legally you can't but if you have the option of contributing towards an RA or investing through Alexander Forbes what would the the cost difference be? Well, I mean, it's hard to say because all circumstances are different, but there is certainly a benefit to being with a, for instance, a big aggregator, a big investor such as ourselves, because um, like with most things in life, size does make a difference from you know, like a cost perspective because you get the economies of scale. And we certainly think there is a big benefit from an individual versus being with the scale of Alexander Forbes. You can certainly get a cost benefit from that. Let's talk about asset classes. Of course, you don't only invest in equities. What other asset classes are you looking at? So um, one of the asset classes that's actually done very well for our investor base in the last few years are hedge funds. Hedge funds can be quite misunderstood out there. Hedge funds are really designed to be less volatile than your general asset classes and add value in times which are volatile, which we certainly know the last two years have been. So they have added a lot of value to portfolios over the last couple of years. We look at private market investments. These are investments that aren't in the listed space. What types of hedge funds are you looking at? We look at all of them. So uh, most of the hedge funds in South Africa are equity related. So they buy and sell or long and short listed equities, but we've also got fixed income investments. We've got the full range, so a full mixture of anything really that's available in South Africa we look at. We don't necessarily invest in all of them, but we do the full range. Can you name a few of the funds you actually invest in? I can. There's some um, long, some of the older hedge funds in South Africa, such as Peregrine, um, 361. I can certainly, if you look on some of our fact sheets, you can see many less familiar names, I would say. Like I said at the start of this, much more boutique firms probably less well known to the investing public versus some of the larger firms that we know advertise quite a lot and are quite familiar to the, you know, to everybody, the man on the street, as it were. And the other asset classes you are looking at, I would assume private equity is also in there? Yes, so we also invest in private equity. It is a bit tricky in private equity space because of liquidity. Investors obviously have different liquidity flows when they need their cash available, and private equity by its construct means that you do tie up the capital for quite a long time. And again, I think that's the benefit with being a bigger investment firm such as our own, that we have obviously a lot of investors that buy and sell and obviously units in their own investments, but we can look through kind of for the long-term investment. So it is quite difficult for individuals to access this area because of liquidity and the lockups. But we are fortunate, given our scale, that we are able to access them. And they do offer different types of return profiles. Which of the asset classes are actually the top performing at the moment? Say, let's take a three-year view. 
the three are forward looking or backward looking because they can often be quite different let's start with backward looking and then what you expect for the next three years so, I mean, it's been a very volatile time from an equity perspective. We had a drawdown in last year, but equities generally have performed quite well. Your global assets have done quite well in the environment that we've been in. Most growth assets have been supported by um, low interest rates and what had been low inflation. So your growth assets such as equities are, are done very well. And if you drill through things like technology, um, it's quite well known that technology stocks have performed very, very well um, straight through the pandemic as well. So what we have found just recently in this year after a very big kind of dip last year is global property has performed exceptionally well this year. It's actually the best performing asset class this year. And going forward? Going forward, it's becoming increasingly more difficult to see the have some visibility. Inflation is a big worry for the market at the moment, and that has, if inflation does start to increase more than we expect, and I say we, it's the market, then it could have some material effects on most asset classes. So what you'll probably find is a bit more of a shift towards inflation-protected assets. They're things like infrastructure, you know, um, assets that derive their cash flows directly linked to inflation so that they can increase the cash flow because it's linked to the inflation rate. So you could see a pickup in those kind of asset classes. We do think it's going to be a tricky time because there's a lot of volatility out there and news flow is affecting the market quite dramatically. So I think volatility, if you can get some more absolute returned investments, investors might um, start switching towards those. We are seeing inflation rising all over the world. We've recently seen the U.S. inflation rate reach 5.4%, which is a lot higher than the interest rate. So interest rates will start to rise in the U.S. The the question is just uh, how fast they will rise. So if you want to hedge yourself against that and want to invest in asset classes like infrastructure, how, how do you go about doing that? It's very tricky. We speak on an institutional basis, so we have access to a lot of things that you actually can't get access to. I think it's about understanding how much and really understanding the inflation effects in your own portfolios. It is difficult. It's a, it's a difficult area, and it's about also ensuring that there are certain, you know, kind of equity um, strategies that could also protect against inflation. Depends on your type of strategy. I can't really say exactly what because it all depends on the individual. But I would say that it is getting increasingly more difficult to predict that inflation spectrum because if you listen to um, obviously the US Federal Reserve, it's telling you that this is a transitory, which means you shouldn't be too concerned. That's their message. However, if we have a long-term inflation outlook it could shift the investments. So it is difficult to say because it all depends on different portfolios. But have you in your main portfolios started to become more uh, cognizant of the risks uh, inflation has? And and are you investing in these infrastructure assets or inflation protection assets, to put it like that? We're very diversified. We have adopted a diversified approach. So we've had these assets in our portfolios for quite some time. I mean, the private investments that I've been speaking about, we've had infrastructure investments, for instance, in South Africa for quite some time and globally. We don't um, follow a very targeted approach of calling any one asset class. Uh, We think the prudent thing is to be diversified across all that we think will generate returns over the long term. So we have had it for quite some time. We are looking at the various ranges available. And really, at the moment, it's about making sure that the risks are balanced in portfolios. What can happen when things are volatile is sometimes risk can creep into portfolios that you're unaware of. So, I mean, that's obviously always a cautionary note for investors. Do you think a fund manager can be overly diversified? 
I think that's definitely the case. And in multi-management, that is your probably biggest risk. Um, it's something that multi-managers should be always reviewing the number of managers, for instance, in, that you have in your portfolios. You don't want to end up with so many stocks that you end up looking like an index portfolio. So you definitely can. That's really about making sure that you've got the right analysis to understand that you're not overly diversified and that you still are taking active risk to get the returns that you need to get. So it definitely is something that can happen and it's something that everybody needs to be aware of. Let's talk about the local market, the equity market. How do you view the current valuations? We do speak to a lot of people in the market. A lot are viewing South Africa as a in a positive light. It, it does depend on which sectors you're looking at. Obviously, you know, certain sectors have done better than others in the last year or so, reacting to, for instance, the big resource climb that we've seen. The South African market in itself is obviously a, a market that's quite concentrated in a few areas and not very diversified nor reflective of the um the real economy actually. So it can be difficult to match the two. But in our world of multi-management, we don't take a view on the South African market. We rely on the asset managers to do so. So I can't really comment further than that. You obviously have to adhere to Regulation 28. Apart from the normal limitations, does it affect you in a significant way? Yes, it's, it's quite restrictive about how much you can have, for instance, offshore. You can only have 30% in a retirement fund offshore, and you tend to find most of your growth strategies have that. It also regulates how much you can have in things like hedge funds or private markets, and it also does limit your growth assets But from a perspective of equities and property. But it does give you restrictions. It's obviously intended to protect investors so they don't end up with too much of one type of risk in portfolios. They are diversified. I mean, that's a kind of a, it's mm. a global regulatory thing to be more prudent in portfolios. And in South Africa, there's obviously a local bias as well from that regulation, forcing about 70% of your portfolio to be local assets. Do you think that is detrimental to the returns people saving for retirement get? Or put differently, if there wasn't regulation to any do you think people saving for retirement would be better off? I think when you're saving for retirement, we always must be cognizant that we're saving for a RAND-based retirement. Obviously, you know, it's not the case for everybody. But if you take that as a generic view, you need to be very careful, obviously, about currency risks. So, for instance, when there's the offshore-onshore debate, you need to be quite cognizant that currencies are very volatile. And actually, that 70% is, you know, is, is almost taking out a lot of that currency risk. I think it does depend where we are in the cycle and where the valuations are. Uh, sometimes it's difficult to get to the returns that you need to get to, and other times there's a lot of opportunity. I think there are opportunities in South Africa that creep up from time to time in terms of valuations. We do know that the RAND, for instance, can be very volatile and go to extreme levels, and that does give opportunities for portfolio managers to shift portfolios around. But I think, generally speaking, we need to be quite cognizant of the fact that liabilities are in RAND, so we always need to be thinking about you know, the RAND-based effects of what, anything that we're doing. So in, in many respects, even if it was unencumbered from a regulatory perspective, I doubt you'd be 100% globally allocated from a retirement fund perspective. Junji, thank you so much for your time today and uh, thank you for sharing your insights. Thank you for having me. It's been a great pleasure. That was Junji King. She's the Chief Investment Officer at Alexander Forbes Investments. Thanks for listening to the MoneyWeb Market Commentator Podcast where leading investment professionals share their investment insights. Hosted by Rake Fanica. For more MoneyWeb podcasts, go to moneyweb.co.za or the app and follow MoneyWeb News for daily updates.